right. Very cool. A lot of things going on. Hope you get involved in some of them. Uh, and uh, yeah, uh, we're going to get back to God now. And uh, that's a part of what we do. If you're a guest, don't worry about that. Um, I have to tell you a funny story, though. On Easter, we have a lot of guests on Easter, which I think is great. Um, I looked down. I was starting my talk just like this, and we we're going to give back to God. And, and I didn't announce it yet. And uh, a guy who I could tell probably hadn't been to this church or any church very often, um, uh, got it and looked around and put his empty coffee cup in there. So I thought, you know what? At least it's good for something. So here we go. Uh, so uh, yeah, we're giving back to God. Uh, uh, so this, uh, I haven't been here for a few weeks. Uh, the, part of the reason is we uh, took a group of 41 people from our church to study the journeys, the missionary journeys of Paul. And we went and visited um, uh, archaeological, historical sites in um, Greece and in Hungary, no, Turkey, and, and uh, maybe I am hungry. But anyway, uh, and, uh, and then Rome, uh, I only got three days of that because I uh, got a phone call. My dad was ill, and they didn't think he was going to make it. And so I came back, just to give you an update, he is, uh, he is on hospice, but he's resting uh, pretty comfortably at home, and he has just the greatest attitude, just the greatest attitude. And so um, I just want to give you that update, and he's probably watching. Hi, Pop. And, uh, and so anyway, uh, so I was able to be with him for a few days. Uh, so the series that Cody did uh, the last few weeks, uh, one of the subtitles was The Juggle is Real, which is a reference to a phrase, The Struggle is Real, which sometimes is a reference to the silly first world problems we have. And we kind of make fun of ourselves for uh, kind of taking them a little too serious. One of the things that over the past um, number of years I've uh, come to realize in my own life is that I am... I am not who I want to be uh, in terms of attitude, and, and I want to talk to you about that today. I want to talk about how to keep the right kind of attitude, even though the world is a mess. Maybe your personal world is a mess, your family, or just the country you live in, whatever it is, even when things are a mess, how do you keep your attitude and your focus uh, right? And so I want to kind of give you a couple of pictures, and, and uh, three scriptures specifically. One is in Jeremiah 17, 7. And uh, I'll just read that for you. The ble uh, but blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. Here's the critical issue we'll talk about today, is that trusting God and having your confidence in God makes all the difference in terms of your attitude. And then the next verse gives us a word picture that I really like. And it says this, uh, the person has their confidence and trust in God. And then in verse eight says, they will be like a tree. Do we have verse eight? Up? Okay. Uh, they'll be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It is not fear when heat comes. It, its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. And so there is this picture of what a person who fully trusts and has confidence in God, that picture is of this tree. Now, in my mind, you know, a lot of, I think a lot in pictures, and, and in my mind, there's a picture between two trees. You ever see, uh, you ever see like hurricane footage from like Florida? What's always in the background? A palm tree. And the palm tree is like this, right? Because that's how you can tell besides the angle of the reporter, right? That's the other way you can tell how strong the winds are. You can tell that this palm tree bending is, is and, the, and the wind blows, and it goes like this. And that's one picture. And unfortunately, that's the picture that describes my, my spiritual journey a lot, unfortunately, and my attitude. But there's this other picture. When I was, uh, when I was late in my teens, my, my grandparents bought a house on a lake. And, and on this lake, um, there was this huge oak tree 
right at the edge of the water. It was so big that it went out over the, the lake, and we had a rope swing. Everybody have a rope swing? Everybody been off one of those? So fun. We passed many hours having fun because the tree is so solid. And it was about 20 feet up. There was this perfect limb, and you could just fly forever. You could do flips. Okay. It was just great. And so the image in Scripture is that we're to be oak trees, not palm trees. When the winds come, the oak tree just stay. I mean, we had tornadoes where I grew up, and the tree was just there. Not to say a tornado couldn't. It didn't on this tree. Just massive tree because its roots were deep, deep down, and it had the nourishment it needed, and it was just when the drought came and the hot weather came, it was just there. And it wasn't doing this stuff. And I was just thinking that's a picture of how I... Uh, am spiritually, and, and in terms of my attitude and my emotion, I'm oftentimes just all of them. And I've realized that if I'm going to be who God wants me to be, i got to be more like this and less like this. So, so for the past couple of years, and I, I've shared this with you before, the past couple of years, I've been starting my prayer time with a psalm. And, and, and this psalm in, in 118, verse 24, is uh, just kind of a reminder to be more solid and unmoving and not dependent upon how I'm feeling on a given day and what circumstances are. So here it is, Psalm 118, 24. This is the day the Lord has made. It's very familiar to many of us. Uh, let us rejoice and be glad in it. And I make it personal. It's the day you, Lord, have made, and I will uh, rejoice and be glad in it. And now here's what's interesting. Very familiar passage. I'm coming to believe that just like with sports or, or anything else, that the most important thing you've got to do is get the basics right. You've got to get the basics right. And if you get the basics right, everything else will work. If you don't get the basics right, nothing else works. And this is one of the ways I've been reminded to get the basics right. And the basics are this. I know God. He loves me. I've been forgiven. Therefore, whatever is happening around me, with God's help, I can handle it. So, um, I need to see what's going on, and I need to choose who I'm going to be in the midst of it. So I don't want to live in denial about the world I live in. I don't want to live in denial about my own finances or my own relational struggles. I'm not in denial. I'm going to see it, but I'm going to choose who I'm going to be in the midst of it. So let's put that verse back up again, if you don't mind. And so this is the day the Lord has made. That is what is. And that reminds me of a couple things. This is the day the Lord has made. There is a God. God is my provider, my sustainer. He's the one who gives meaning and purpose to my life. There is a God. So I begin with God. You're saying, well, that's kind of obvious how you start your prayers. Really? Because I used to start my prayers with, oh God, I'm in deep trouble here. I need your help. And I don't do that now until like the third paragraph when I'm writing to God. I don't start with how I'm feeling any given day. I don't start with what condition the world is in or who I'm worried about. I start with who God is and what he's done. God has given me this day. I'm not guaranteed tomorrow. I can't redo yesterday. This day is a gift from God. That's where I start. And then who am I going to be in this day? It's not if the wind blows the right way or if I get favorable circumstances. No, it's I will, volitional choice. I will choose to rejoice and be glad. Now, this is harder than you think. Very basic thing. I'll choose to rejoice and be glad. The problem is most of the time we rejoice over things that happen, current things that happen, right? Rejoicing because, you know, your kid passed the eighth grade. Uh, You're rejoicing because your daughter finally got married at age 37. Um, I'm not thinking of anybody specific. There's just examples. Um, You rejoice over a specific thing. But I've just said, this is a gift from God. This day is a gift from God. So I have, if nothing else, I can rejoice over that. And I will be glad in it. Glad is not my best emotion. 
Anger is, I'm much better at anger. I have more practice at that. Glad is tough, but I'm going to choose that. And every day as I write my prayers out and I begin my prayer with this, I have to readjust, recalibrate, and remember what my life is about. But here's what I found is I can't. I actually can't do that. On my own, in my own power, I cannot do that. That very sentence I cannot do. I can try to readjust my thinking, but I can't get where I need to go. And so usually what follows immediately after that particular passage is, now, Lord, help me rejoice and be glad. Make me glad. So I want to talk about that. In Romans 15, 13, there's a passage that I think will help all of us get there. And, uh, and so let me tell you, what, did I tell you about my dad's prayer? I didn't tell you that part yet, did I? So my, I was uh, visiting my folks, and, you know, dad's in his uh, last season of life, if you will. And um, so it was time to leave. And I said, well, let's have a word of prayer, which we always do. Uh, and, and so I bowed my head and I fully intended to pray a prayer of, of comfort and of peace over both my dad and my mom, who's going through this as well, and also has some physical challenges and, and, and all this kind of stuff. And so I bowed my head and this weird thing happened. A basketball appeared in my throat. You know what I'm saying? I'd been, I'd been cool and calm, you know, pretty much. And then when I, I, I knew I was leaving to come home, and I live in Scottsdale, and I bowed to pray, and there was this long, awful silence because I was fighting to be able to talk. And then all of a sudden, my dad starts praying for me. And I'm like, I am such a wimp. I am such a wimp. My whole life, this man has been praying for me, caring for me. And here at this moment, when I could finally stand up and be an adult, I can't say a word because I'm a wimp. I was thinking about that on the drive home. I was, I was disappointed that I, I couldn't speak, but he prayed. This. You know, he's got that voice and he knows God. And, you know, he just prayed this incredible prayer that just, you know, I kind of floated home. And I was thinking about how does he do that? How in the midst of what he's facing is he still the guy who can say the prayer and mean it and, and make it so powerful? He is that guy. I'm this guy. <laughs> How do you become that guy? And so I begin to kind of, again, revisit that. And, and this passage is something that I, that I, that I think helps um, guide me and us. So Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. As, so this is a parenthetical thing, just like I'm doing right now in the middle of this reading. Paul pauses in the middle of some talks about unity and helping the weaker brother and all that stuff. He pauses and does this. It's, it's kind of a prayer, but it's kind of meant for the people too. He's like, here's what I hope God does in your life. Here's, here's the goal. If you're going to do all this other stuff I need you to do to, to make the kingdom, net kingdom gain thing happen here, and you guys become a true community of believers, here's what God's going to need to do. And so I'm praying that this happens, okay? So then he says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So it's kind of a, yeah, it's kind of a blessing. And as I read that, I, I, there's some things in there that I think help us move from this to this, okay? And um, yeah, I just want to kind of go through them. And so it begins with this. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. So here's the goal, is to be filled with joy and peace. What's interesting about that is everybody gets the goal wrong initially, because every person that's ever lived, uh, except for Jesus, believed that the goal was happiness, it's even in some government documents we have somewhere. 
the pursuit of happiness, right? By the way, what's interesting about that statement is not the happiness part. We all know we should, we're going to pursue happiness. It says you have the freedom to pursue happiness. By the way, happiness is not bad. I prefer happiness to just about anything else. But, and not to put too fine a distinction on it, but the problem with happiness is it depends on what happens. Right? You're happy if good things happen. Nobody's happy when bad things happen. But we all know that bad things happen in life. As a matter of fact, if your highest goal in life is to be happy, that means that the only time you're going to achieve your goal is when everything lines up just perfectly. And even in those moments when it lines up perfectly, it doesn't last very long, does it? Life has a way of changing quickly. The greatest happiness is fine. It's not the greatest point. Here he says, the point is joy and peace. Joy is deeper than happiness. It depends not on what is happening, but what has happened, the cross, the resurrection, the forgiveness of my sin, what will happen that I'm promised to live forever in heaven, and what God is doing in me right now, even if my circumstances aren't great. So we were on this trip. I was only there for three days, but uh, one of my friends who got back from the trip uh, said to me, some of the accommodations weren't great. And he said, and I was starting to kind of get bummed that the accommodations weren't great. And he said, then I realized I was there to study Paul, who in that very city we had looked at that day had gotten beaten for the sake of Christ. And I started to think, you know, maybe I can handle the hotel. It's kind of a first world problem, you know. <laughs> it's not that big a deal. Paul was in prison. He was beaten. Yeah, I'll be all right. right? The reality is, is that we move beyond happiness to something deeper. If you read Paul, he did this all the time. Paul was oftentimes beaten, always persecuted, ended up being a martyr, uh, a prisoner. Most of the time he was writing the New Testament, or a good chunk of it anyway. And yet he talks about joy all the time. Joy is something so much deeper than happiness, something so much more powerful. And it's not dependent upon everything lining up for you or for me. It has to do with me knowing that I'm in a right relationship with God. See, with happiness, we make all kinds of excuses. Well, I'm just having a bad day. Bad things happened. Or, well, you know, you don't know the family of origins I came from. I can't really be happy because of all this stuff. Um, um, well, I can't be happy because of my coworkers. Such a, and you can have all kinds of reasons we can't be happy. But we don't have any reasons why we can't be joyful. Your family of origins may be awful, and yet Jesus promises healing and hope. You may have had a rough day circumstantially, but Jesus still loves you and is still directing you to an incredible impact on this earth and a place in heaven forever. You see, no matter what we're facing, we may not be happy, but we can be joyful. We can have joy at the end of the day, and joy is so much more powerful than just happiness. It's beyond our circumstances. One of the struggles we have, though, is that we oftentimes, subconsciously anyway, think that happiness is the goal, and we put our security, our sense of security, and our sense of significance into something external. And when that doesn't work, then we can't be happy because it's not working. My job didn't go well, and I think happiness is going to come from my job. Therefore, <laughs> I'm having a bad day. Take, take two business people. They got a, a deal coming up. One of them really does understand the point of life is joy and peace, and it comes to a relationship with God. And a, a business opportunity comes up, and oh, that'd be great if that happens. Take another person who's facing the same opportunity, but they really, on some level, have not truly believed that their source of, of joy and peace is God. They're still kind of stuck on the happiness track where their significance and security is found in their accomplishments on the job. And they both hit, a, hit an obstacle here where the, the person they're trying to do the deal with wants them to fudge, to play in the gray area a little bit, do something that's uh, a little iffy. 
Which one is more likely to stick to their convictions? The one who knows that their significance, their security is in relationship with God and they can be joyful even if the deal falls through. Not the one who's dependent uh, for their self-esteem on the deal. It really does depend what our source is, the source of our security and our significance. One is pursuing happiness, the other is pursuing joy. If we're pursuing joy, we know that our, sur- our source is in Jesus Christ. Um, and so we need to choose joy even over happiness, as great as happiness is. And then it says joy and peace. And the word peace is, we, we think of peace as an absence of conflict. Oh, it's pretty peaceful in my house today. Nobody threw anything. Um, and peace is not that at all. Peace has to do with wholeness. It has to do with wellness. It has to do with completeness. It has to do with the Old Testament uh, Hebrew word shalom. And maybe one of the examples I give you of shalom was in the garden before Eve messed up and made her husband eat that thing. Read it. Anyway, um, uh, <laughs> just seeing if you're awake. Turns out only the women were. But um, before the fall, we see shalom. We see things as they're supposed to be. Things are right between God and humans. Things are right between the humans. Things are even right with the environment, with the earth, with the creation. It's right. It's as it should be. And so when uh, Paul talks about joy and peace, he's talking about not absence of conflict. He's talking about things as they should be between you and God, between you and each other. Remember, he's coming off in previous verses talking about how believers ought to be getting along and helping the weaker one. That's peace. And so if we realize that the goal of life is to live in joy and peace, not just a pursuit of happiness, which, by the way, usually ends up being very selfish, but joy and peace is not only about us, but about us and us and God, then we begin to understand that that's the goal. We begin to live differently. We begin to understand some different kinds of things. And so we go on to the second thing. So it begins with, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. And then the second part of that passage says as you trust him. So here is the method to getting to the goal, is trusting God. It's faith. Do we trust God? If we trust God, we can, we can have joy and peace. It's about trusting him. Um, one of the challenges is, is to, to trust God, is to not just trust him once for forgiveness of my sin, but to trust him daily. And uh, we oftentimes forget to do that, at least I do, and that's where this comes from. And so uh, I, I read this article or this uh, chapter in a book this week, and the author, when he was in grad school, had uh, worked uh, as a mentor to underachieving uh, students, uh, little kids, and and they and they were sent to this this learning center because they thought they had some learning deficiency. What they actually most of them had was just a lack or an inability to focus very long. There was nothing wrong with their IQ. They were very bright children. They just couldn't stay focused very long. And so the method that came up to help all these kids, each of them was assigned a mentor. And the mentor would sit them down, all in a, in a room, all in the same room, set them down, get them light out of their home, get them started, and say, now I'm going to leave the room, but I'm going to be in the room next door, and I'm going to be watching from behind the mirror. I'll be watching you, um, and, and you can do this. And he said it was amazing. When they first started, they couldn't even get behind the mirror before the kid was doing something else, looking around, whatever it was. And, 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 they, and here's what they do. They march back in, sit them back down, get them started again, say, by the way, I'm going to be behind the mirror, okay? I'm going to be watching. You're going to do great. And again, um, the kid would, but what they noticed was each time they went in and sat down and reminded them they were behind the mirror is they focused a little bit longer. 
And so over time, these children would initially forget that there was somebody behind the mirror watching, keeping an eye on them. They would forget it almost immediately. And then it was a minute or two, and then they'd forget and get distracted by something. But eventually, they were able to focus long enough that um, they could get their homework done because they remembered there was somebody in the other room watching them. Now, what's interesting about that is that I think I may have spiritual ADD. Because I forget God is watching me. And, it, and I almost, I, when I wrote my notes, I almost took that phrase out because it sounds, oh, God is watching me. But it only sounds that way if I'm doing something wrong. So somebody goes, God's watching me. Oh, I knew he was out to get me, right? Um, sometimes I watch my grandchildren. And there's two ways I could be watching them. One is I could be watching them to catch them do something wrong so I could swat their little hands or correct them or whatever. I don't because they're my grandchildren. I don't care. They're almost perfect. And especially if I'm watching at their house, I really don't care what they do. Crayon, wall, go for it. Beautiful drawing. Um, but there's another way I watch my grandchildren, and that is to say, oh, honey, that is beautiful. I can't believe you drew that. Is that from me? It's to honor them. It's to reward them. It's to encourage them, maybe even help a little bit. I can watch them that way. When we remember that God is watching, it's not, oh, it's only if you're doing bad stuff. You always have the option to knock it off. And, and he'll even help you knock it off. But we must remember that God is watching. So I, I was praying um, a couple days ago and just thanking God for the kind of earthly father that I have and, and how he really set me up to have a great relationship with my Heavenly Father. You know, because my dad, Lord knows he corrected me a lot and still does. But, um, but there was never a moment, whether correcting me or affirming me, where I didn't believe he was for me. And I was just thanking God for such a head start in understanding my Heavenly Father's, because I know lots of people didn't have a dad or didn't have a dad like that. And I was just thanking God for a dad who really helps me understand the Father. I'm not afraid of God. I don't want to mess around because, you know, he'll let me experience the consequence of my stupidity, which my earthly father also did, <laughs> does. But I, I just know that God is watching me because he loves me and he's affirming of me and he's for me. And if we can begin to live knowing that God watches us in that way as well and prefers to watch us in that way where he can celebrate us and he can encourage us, and we can trust that kind of a God, can't we? We can trust him. We can include him. We can invite him in on a daily basis. You'll never get to the peace and joy on your own. It only comes as God works in you. And that can only happen through faith. It's word trust here. It's about faith. I trust him. I trust God. Therefore, whatever it is I would old, old me would start my prayers with, I could put them a little further down because I know God's already got that. I need to remember who God is. We'll talk about this in a minute. I need to remember that this day is a gift and that I'm going to rejoice and be glad in it if for no other reason than I've just been given this day. How do we do that? We spend time with him. You spend time with him. I, uh, I, I read the, about a famous pianist and this guy was um, world famous, and he negotiated some contract and a deal, and he was going to do a tour and play these concerts. But a part of the writer in the contract was, I need three hours a day to practice scales. So I need a quiet place and a piano where I can, for three hours a day, practice scales. Now, if you know anything about piano, you learn the scales when you're a kid. He wasn't learning the scales. He knew the scales. And they said, well, why would you need three hours to do scales? He said, because if I don't do scales one day, that night at the concert, I will know the difference. 
And if I go two days without doing three hours of scales, my teacher will know the difference. And if I go three days without doing scales, everybody can tell the difference. Because the manual dexterity and the speed with which he needed to hit those notes, he had to practice them. Some of us think we can walk around in life and just kind of suck it up and have a joyful attitude when we don't spend any time with the one who gives it. By the way, I just challenge you. I know this to be true in my life. If I miss a day with God, there is a slight dissonance in my life internally. If I miss two days, my family knows there's a dissonance. If I miss three days, it's getting pretty obvious. Because the the joy and the peace doesn't come from me. They're not self-generated. It is from God, and it is through time with God and His Word that that happens. I would challenge you to identify in your life. And, And if you're not used to doing every day with God, you may not notice it, and you'll see the opposite effect. You start doing a little time every day with God, reading His Word, and just having an honest conversation with God. And like I said, I write mine out most of the time uh, because I'm a little ADD, not just spiritually. Um, But if you'll do that, you will find less dissonance if you start doing it. And then if you start missing, here's what I would suggest to you. Do both. Well, I wouldn't suggest the both, but you'll do the both. You'll skip a day or two. And I would challenge you to identify what begins to happen in you. Is the fuse a little shorter? (laughs) Is the judgmentalism a little little quicker? (laughs) Is the cynicism a little more obvious? I can tell you in my life what happens when I don't spend time with God. That joy, that peace begins to dissipate. Other things begin to come in. And I can see it. And so if we're going to trust God, the way we do that is daily spending time with Him. Be aware of those times when you miss a day and how it impacts your life. Um, And remember how important this is. I said the basics are really, really important. So there's this, um, these two sisters, Martha and Mary. And um, Martha is kind of a a to-do, she's a a task-oriented person. She's got her to-do list, and her to-do list includes hosting Jesus for dinner, the disciples, she's got to cook, she's got to set the table, she's got to do all this stuff. So Jesus arrives at the house, Mary's in the kitchen making it all happen because she's a doer, and uh, Martha is rather, and Mary plops down at Jesus' feet and is just listening. And, and so, and some of you can identify with this, you're kind of task-oriented people. And, and so here is what happens in verse um, 40 of chapter 10 of Luke. It says this, Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. Martha had, which is the word distracted. If you look at left the word distracted in the Greek, it simply means pulled in all different directions. You ever felt that way? Pulled in all different directions, like human taffy, just pulled in all different directions. And Jesus' response to her is really, is really interesting. Uh, when she complains to Jesus, my sister's not helping, he says, Martha, Martha, Martha. Anybody? No. Okay. Come on. That's funny. What he really says is, Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed, only one. Mary has chosen what is better and will not be taken away from her. In other words, if you don't get anything else right, get your time with God right. If, if dinner didn't get prepared, if the, the table wasn't listening and spending time with Jesus, if you don't get anything else right, if you get that one right, you're going to be okay. You're going to be good. If you find yourself too busy to spend... By the way, Jesus had a fairly important uh, mission in life. He had people to heal... He had the gospel to preach. He had the world to save. And yet, on a regular basis, he withdrew from all of that and spent time with the Father. 
Why? Because at the concert, he could tell, right? He needed to spend time with God. If Jesus needed to spend time with God, you need to spend time with God. I need to spend time with God. A lot of things Jesus did in King James, he said, as was his custom. He went, to, he went to church, as was his custom. He read from scriptures, as was his custom. There are things you do, as is your custom. You drink coffee first thing in the morning, as is your custom. You get in the car, you drive to work, as is your custom. You yell at the other drivers, as is your custom. <laughs> if you want to trust Jesus, there needs to be, as is your custom somewhere. Somewhere you need to be doing something as a discipline, as a practice, if you want to draw close to him. And if we do that, then he begins to work in us for that joy and that peace. And here's what it looks like in the last part of that passage, in the, in the, in the third section of Romans 15, 13. And it says this, so that you may overflow with hope. By the way, it's not just barely, okay, I'm a little more hopeful today. No, it's not. It's overflow with hope that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. In other words, this isn't self-generated. This is something the Holy Spirit does in you. I don't know how it works. I, don't, I can't figure out the formula. I just know when I spend time with God and in prayer and honestly seeking to know God and reading his word, the Holy Spirit causes the level of hope to rise in me, which gives me the opportunity for joy and for peace. I just know that's how it works. I can't give you do these three things. Be better. All I can say is spend time with God reading his word, seeking Jesus, and the Holy Spirit will cause it. What does this look like? There's a great story that uh, Jonathan, who was singing here today, his brother spoke at uh, Young Adults a couple of weeks ago. And he was telling this powerful story. I won't, I won't tell the story, but, but the essence of the story was he was a freshman in high school when a senior girl approached him and asked him for some help. And she was thinking of committing suicide. And he said, why me? I'm a freshman. I, he says, because when I see you every day at class, there is peace on your face. She came from an abusive family. So I see peace on your face. In the political environment we live in, the economic environment we live in, the busyness of life, I just want to ask you, what do people see on your face? I, I, one time I did it, I did it, I didn't tell us the other stories, but any other services, but I did a, I did a management course somebody set me up for. And one time we were supposed to evaluate another presenter, but I, it turned out they were tricking us. It wasn't about the presenter at all. They were filming our face to see how we were receiving the message. I can't tell you how badly I failed. I am embarrassed to even remember how transparent I was because I thought the person was a lousy presenter and my face said it. There was no grace. There was no hope. What's on your face? More importantly, what's in your heart? How's your day going? Where's your source? What kind of person do you want to be in spite of whatever's going on around you? These are all things we can, we can turn to God for help with, and he will change it. Let's pray. Lord God, I love you. I thank you for loving me when I am so often unlovely <laughs> and seemingly unlovable. I thank you for the peace and the joy that I feel. I thank you for those days also when I don't feel them because I haven't spent time with you and I haven't allowed your Holy Spirit to bring hope into my life. Lord, I pray for anybody here today who is not feeling at peace and certainly not joyful because they lack hope. I pray that right now in this moment they would turn to you and they would choose to rejoice and be glad in this day, not because of their circumstances, but because of their source, because of you. And I pray that you would just infuse them with hope and peace and joy in this moment as they draw close to you. Let us 
daily, every day, turn to you and receive the gifts that you are offering us. Lord, we thank you for them in advance. In Jesus' name, amen.